Listener Production. You are listening to episode 181 of the Howie Games Part B featuring a man running a massive sports media business, Craig Hutchison. Frequent listeners to this show know, Hutchie, I've got a couple of kids who you wouldn't have seen for a long time and those that are most engaged with the guest ask a question. You get the question from my little princess, Sky, who is now 13. I don't know how that happens, mate. She rolls as the pickle. Tommy might provide some supporting vision for this in a moment, but uh, here we go. Hi, Hutchie. Pickle here. You're really killing it in business. Congratulations. And Dad tells me that you also recently bought a basketball team. I think that's super cool. Anyways, Dad showed me the video of you kicking that amazing goal in the Ted Witten match. <laughs> but what I want to know is how many times have you watched it on YouTube and what do you rate it out of 10? <laughs> Tommy, have you got the goal? That's a great question, Sky. Thank so you. So we'll get, we'll get, we did this the other day with a guest and it worked quite well. So I, I don't, I don't right. need to see the vision. I can do no, a no, correct no. count. How I many views re- has it had? Over two million on YouTube, and I've been at least half of them, I think. Right, one point eight million views. Well, that's just on the core. Like if you look at the different <laughs> angles. Just set it up before we roll it. So it's a Ted Witten game. Yeah. You're playing for Victoria. You know what's funny about this? Yeah, is the YouTube era has there's a whole new wave of kids who only consume content on YouTube. That's my kids, mate. And my stepson Nicholas, the first time I ever met him. I walked into the house where he was, and he was watching this on his phone at the second I met him. Was he? And he looked up and did a double take. <laughs> and I, what I worked out is kids just live on historical stuff on YouTube and TikTok. They do. So this has got a whole new era. I ran into Fitzy for the first time only three or four days ago at the airport in Sydney, and we had a great laugh about it and reflected on it. Fitzy? Yeah. Ryan Fitzgerald? Yeah. This was on... Um, you would have run into Fitzy late last Thursday when he'd just come from here. There you go. Or well, beforehand, yeah. So he's on the mark. You might have talked us through it from here, Guru. Here, he's on here. He's, he's on. on. He's on. They can see him. They'll get it to him. Yes. Craig Hutchison inside range, I think. No. I think it's outside his range, personally. Well, first of all, I was terrified. I started on Wayne Carey, which went poorly. I was moved forward and... You can see they're in the, late in the first quarter. I look around there. So you marked 45 out? First touch. <laughs> There's people all around me I've done negative stories on. <laughs> Wayne Carey, Mel Michael, do, all these big. The other team, might be in there. The other team had a heap of bruises yeah. on the team. And I, from memory, my, my, the same mates we were talking about are sitting behind the goals at this end on level two. And I knew where they were sitting. And I have a feeling that I'd said to them, if I am fortunate enough to get one touch and it's at your end, you know I'm going to try and go around the man and because <laughs> that's the sort of stuff we would do in the park as kids. Correct. And so that's, what I think, what inspired it in hindsight. So you're 50 out. And what happens? Yeah, go to go. I'm always going to go around no matter what happens. <laughs> it's a home timber and hardware opportunity for Hutchie. Oh, he's looking to give off, Hutchie. Don't do oh, it. And then I panicked. The, the idea of getting around had not crossed my mind. I thought I was going to get tackled. It was going to be a funny moment. And, you know, I was going to go to the ground. And when I got around, I thought I didn't plan for this. I didn't have the left foot and I didn't have the speed deal on my right. So all I had left was a banana and it somehow came off the right end. Unbelievable. I see it, but I don't believe it, Jim. Oh, no. 
He sold some candy and swung onto his right and boonanaed it. He doesn't need to do another thing tonight. It's like and Darren Jarman <laughs> in his heyday and a big checkside guru. And then got dragged straight away. <laughs> so I was, within one minute I was dirty and being taken off. It's <laughs> well, amazing how competitive you get. I, I still think that is, yeah. and I've. this is the problem when we had played footy together, is that you moved into the forward pocket and became the non-tackling forward pocket, which yep. was the role I perfected and we couldn't yep. get away no, with two in the two same Two in the team, <laughs> two in the the team didn't work. That was me as a footballer, <laughs> terrified. Forward you, pocket, no body contact. Your love affair with America, and this is where we really did get to know each yep. other well. Um, and I like that I can keep referring it back because it reminds me of all the really good times we had together. But you turning up with your surfboard in bare feet in a minus ten degree day in New York. Well, I, I to stay did. In my apartment. I, yeah. I did. I'd come up from Costa Rica. And I remember getting the... It's um, the funniest thing I've ever seen. What's it called? It's like Crocodile Dundee. The subway. The subway. <laughs> and I'd come from Costa Rica and it was minus 12. And, in shorts and thongs. In the snow. And with a with surfboard. A surfboard and you, go, you get on the train at JFK, yeah. the subway, and I remember this yeah. dude... There ain't no surf here, man. I'm thinking, okay. It's the funniest and, thing I've ever and seen. And you said, I'll meet you at 4 p.m. outside yeah. my apartment. Gets to 4 p.m. Corner 65th in Amsterdam. Mm. I think, You're not there. I, I yeah. don't have a mobile phone. Yeah. An hour and 15 minutes later when you finally roll out of where you've been. Well, I, you didn't have a phone, man. I'm nearly frozen <laughs> to death at this stage. I've got frostbite on my toes. Yeah. I've still got the surfboard yeah. under my arm. But I saw firsthand how much you loved America. And the thing I love about America, mate, and that you taught me is that they promote people having a crack. Yeah. Here, tall poppy, Hutchie's trying to run this business empire. It'll never work. He's going to go bust. In America, Hutchie's running this business empire. What can we do to help him? Yeah, I love that energy in the States. I love the sense of them celebrating success or people having a go. You don't even need to be successful in America to be respected. Have a go. Yeah, people are in the fight. If you have, you're having a go and you're in the fight, Americans tend to connect with you. And so that, yeah, that's infectious. And then the, the size and scale of it. For me at that time, I lived in a small town, Melbourne, with, you know, I thought I was, you know, had a role to play in the footy world and you think you're someone that you're not and probably a bit ahead of myself. And then you get to America and you just get like a social audit. Don't you? you do. You get completely realigned that people haven't even barely heard of Australia or certainly aren't going to go to Australia anytime soon. And don't worry, there's 320 million of them here having the same go. And they don't care that you've broken a football story in, in half a and country they, on the other side of the world. They judge you on who you are, not what you do. Yeah. And so, yeah, I loved it. And then it was just obviously pretty uh, tricky transformational time in my life as well. And then, so all those sort of roads hit at the one time, but they were, gee, they were good times. I loved you coming to visit. Oh, it was, yeah. uh, before I get to a story about when we spent time together, a social question. Um, that you may not have an answer for. The, the, the have a go is what we were taught in history books, rightly or wrongly, mate, that this country was built on. Yep. You would see this up close and personal in your job, in your industry, in your SMS machine at SEN when you see it ticking over. I don't know when we became a country of people that wanted to have a go to progress to a country where we seem to be now of people that want to have a crack. I don't really have a crack at people rather than have a go at life. I, you must see that in what you do day to day. I don't know when it happened. Yeah, I find it really difficult to deal with mm. and I don't let myself stop and think about it because- I it, do occasionally. Do you? Yeah, it, I do. When, when I find myself, you know, I might rant for a couple of minutes over something and I'll just quickly move on because fundamentally we as a nation 
we're, we're built on the people that broke convention and well, that's what we were taught how to go and Absolutely. broke ceilings and climbed through things and you know found a way and made it happen. And that's in the rest of the world, we're still quite respected in that mindset. But people still think of Australians as bold and daring and getting on planes. And they do, they do, but it's not really accurate these days like it's, it could be. Um, there's those that who are doing it and they're often. Like, I don't know, we've we become a culture where unless you failed, people don't like you. You know, we, we like our flawed heroes, but not you, our... You've you got to have a redemption story. Yeah, you, can't gotta, just, you, gotta, you can't just yeah. get there. And it's, that's a shame. It's a, and it's and then when when it comes to cancel culture, we're at the sharp end of that now too probably. So it's, we are. And particularly in Melbourne. So it's like it's really... Um, the world has moved by and large to a far greater good and people are behaving far better to each other than they once did. But the unfortunate byproduct of that is we we're quick just to pounce on people's uh, perceived successes, flaws, or things they want to said wrong on the way. So, as a media mogul, I'm going to call you that. Nothing of the sort. I think because you're a mate, you're definitely a media mogul. Like I, I you, you were really kind to say that this podcast has succeeded due to authenticity. I, I have a slightly different view. I think it's succeeded due to positivity. I think that's the general message that I get back. You know, we listen to your show because it's positive. Do you do you aim or try and steer your mogulship, for want of a better term, in a positive space to bring positivity to people or that's not your role? It's a great question and I, I would agree with you that this platform, like I know a lot of people that listen to this platform to this podcast, a lot of the Howie Games, and it was before, it's before its time but it stayed before its time. That's what I one of the the way you've evolved it and the way you distribute content now. Um, my um, my partner's stepmother is one of your listeners and I always oh, ask her what, how she connects with you. it. and what. Yeah, so posit- you've been able to – your persona is so positive and you are able – and you're such a disarming interviewer. Your interview skills are um, – you don't get the kudos you deserve on your interview skills. Tell I me. watched the interview you did on with Nathan Lyon at the SCG test for 15 minutes where you just basically disarmed him on a walk for 15 minutes and – it looked like you, to the uneducated, it looked like you hadn't thought your way through that interview or you were making it up as you went along. But I knew exactly what you're doing. I know you well and I knew mm. the journey you're taking him on. And that's a skill that's undiagnosed, but hats off to you. Um, I don't think our role as SEN is to be 24-7 positive, but I do think it's to be fair. Yeah, okay. And I think if you're in sport, you should largely start from a position of how great it is and then you might challenge decisions or – in racing, we've tried to be – overtly positive because I felt like most racing platforms were quite negative. So I don't, I have no interest in racing, but occasionally I'll flick it on and your racing boys will be on, on SEN, Campbell Brown and yep. the other blokes. And I'll listen for 25 minutes because they're just cheering their horses home, having yeah, fun. you'll have a good time. And yeah. it's infectious. Yeah. It is. It's like a little party around the races. Yeah. And I've got no interest in horse racing. So that platform's designed to be, SEN Track is designed to be entirely positive. I'm not, not interested in, you know, grilling the stewards or, yep. you know, qu- questioning the prize money debates between Victoria and New South Wales or any of those things. So we're interested in giving mm. people fun, have it a works. laugh, be irreverent, have banter. Like if you and I and four mates went to the pub on a Saturday for lunch, we might have a palmer. We may or may not have a $20 bed in the background. Yep. We may or may not give each other a hard time. We left seven out of the quarter and it's part of our experience, but we're, it's, it's a social connector. That's, so that platform... Absolutely want to be positive. In fact, I kind of chase negative language a little bit around it. Hmm. In sport, I think it's our job to be fair and and entertaining, informative, but also, you know, question things within reason. Yeah, 
No, I think it's sports magnificent. I don't apologise for it being wonderful. So we're probably trying to strike that balance. And it differs a little bit everywhere. And yeah. everyone interprets your content differently. Right. So once I thought out my toes in New York, and <laughs> we spent a bit of time together at the New York Athletic Club and we'd go to, what's the big coffee place? Starbucks. Starbucks, and I'd yeah. drink like nine litres of hot chocolate to try yeah. and warm up the toes. Yeah. We were there, I reckon, the second time I visited you. And this is my favourite explanation of what you're about. And then we need to co-tell this story. You read in the paper that Sports Illustrated were putting on a big party. And you said, Guru, we need to go to that party. I'm like, mate, how are we going to go to that party? So you're like, let's get invited to do media interviews. So you sent an email to whoever was organising it, PR person, saying two journalists from Australia... We're based in New York, but if we have a widespread national footprint back home to do the best for your guests. And at that point, you said, right, mate, we need to go and buy a digital <laughs> recorder and a microphone. <laughs> digital recorder, yeah. So do you recall this? Yeah, I do. We went, we went and bought it. We went to Radio Shack. We went to Radio Shack <laughs> and we bought this digital thing you mentioned yeah. earlier Never on. Have used one before in my life? No. Your uh, job's to work out how to use it, Harry. Yeah, and, and I couldn't manage to do that. All you assisted yeah. me with, you gave me a, a 3AW microphone, what are they called, the things that go over the yeah. top microphone, yeah. the, to show you with 3AW. Yep. Anyway, they say, yep, get there at 6 o'clock. Tom Brady. Yep, he's is, being honoured that night. He's the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. Yep. And I'll never Stone Rose forget it, Guru. The That's it. Time Warner. Big yep. red carpet. You got CBS, yep. NBC, CNBC, Fox, ESPN. You continue to go down to your like affiliates in Kentucky yep. and then further down AAP. and then you might get AAP. <laughs> and there's a spot and it just says Craig Hutchison, Mark Howard, Australia. Yep, yep. We're at the end. So we're at the end. So people are wandering through, and we've got a tape recorder that doesn't work. Yep. And wandering past- That was your job. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> well, then this is true. All of a sudden, the lady brings over, hey, guys, this is Tom. Yep. And it's Tom Brady. Yep. And I give Tom Brady two and a half minutes of my best gear yep. on something that's not recording. Yep. And then you tap me on the shoulder, and I have to let Tom go because you have standing in front of you- Donald Trump, was it? Donald yeah. Trump. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he, Donald was there to honour. To Don, honour Tom. Donald, Donald made the speech. To honour Tom. We'll get to that. <laughs> Do you recall, you asked him a couple of Dorothy Dixes. Yeah. Now, this was the future, you know president, this better yeah. than me, what number president was he? Was 45. He like, okay. The yeah. fu- future 45th president. Hair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm not going to the hair. <laughs> yeah. You went yeah. to the hair. What, what, what did you tell him? What did you say? Well, you, you tell the story that I asked him whether his hair was real You or not. did. You did, mate. <laughs> may or may not be true. You did. You, you asked him a couple of Dorothy Dixon about Tom, yep. and then you went with, by the way, I reckon you dropped a Don on him. <laughs> Don, you can't, that hair can't be real, can it? In, in the larrikin yeah. way. And and he answered it. He actually rolled along with it, though, he? Didn't did. He did, yeah, yeah. and he had a laugh. Yeah. The great disaster was I hadn't figured out the tape recorder, yeah. so I never saw the light it never exists. <laughs> but we got into the party. Yeah, there was only about 200 in the party, and we got to mix with, you know. The Woody, creme de la creme. Woody Allen once said, 80% of success is showing up. <laughs> That's, well, you've got to show up, right? You never know what's going to happen. It got to the end. My mate Blanksy in America invented well, that. And I, that's I, what he I dominates thought, with yeah, that. Yeah, it, I, it, I lent on his method quite well, a bit. It got to the end of the red carpet yeah. and 
Janine, whoever it was, PR came up and said, oh, you guys are done. Would you like to come in? Yep. And that was what we were there for, yep. which leads me to how does one go from that to getting onto the field of the Super Bowl? The field of the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> where to start with that? So the Super Bowl for me was a passion long before we started doing it as a business. In fact, I had to put away the child since about five or six years ago. So if people want to go to the Super Bowl with you? Yeah, they can still join us now, Ballpark Entertainment. Ballpark Entertainment. Yeah, we take anywhere from 40 to 90 people a year, depending wow. on the year. Um, but it started out with me just going with mates. And my first one was Detroit in 2006 or seven, whatever that was, around about that time. And and then missed one and then went on a run for the next 12 or 13 years. And I used to kind of judge every year of being a success or otherwise of if I had the means to go. <laughs> I thought there'll be... The financial means yeah, to get like, to the Super Bowl. Yeah, if I haven't been able to afford to go, then... It's, it's been a rough been year. It's been a rough year. Or I can't <laughs> justify the, the time. So... For five or six years, I was doing it before we started taking people because in the end, people started saying, can I come? And that's how it all began. So my, my mission was always to try and get on the field after the game. <laughs> and for three or four years, I did that before the cameras caught it just to be able to laugh with mates around. Um, and I used to figure out how to do it. So um, it was the ultimate hustle, right? It was the great Which test. Which is what you live for, the hustle. It was Ocean's Eleven. It was a great test of <laughs> overcoming the opposition to get out on the ground. So it was just a bit of a dumb thing among mates. And so I remember one year, maybe about two years before the camera caught it, I'd got out and I'd um, I'd helped set the stage up. <laughs> so I carried – so I helped set the stage up. And I used to always wear a jacket so I looked like I was the person in charge and I would tell people where they had to stand on the ground. You back, you back, get over there. Come on, you're right. Quick, quick, move it through. Come on, everyone back. I need a red, a red carpet here. I need a tape there. Push the rope back, back, back. And people would just start listening with that. Because what, what would happen is in every year, they'd be in a different city. So they were all generally contractors or freelancers who didn't know what they were doing or it was their first time doing what they were doing, where if they saw someone in a jacket who looked like they were in charge, there's a fair chance they might take advice from them. The year before I got caught on camera doing it, they were on to me. I was on the um, profiling of the... Oh, keep an eye for this guy. Yeah. So I got to the to my hustle routine and um, the guard said, we know about you. You're not, <laughs> you're, not coming on, you're not coming on the ground under any circumstances. This is before we started doing business for the NFL back in the day when the younger days. And I said, well, you know, I'll be going out. They said, no, no, you, you can't, you won't. And they got on the microphone as a guy, you know. Four, there's only four ways in, the four corners, and you've got to pick your mark. I was trying to look for the most vulnerable point of entry. So um, <laughs> I'd done the form and figured out the route long before they'd arrived there. So um, so as I'm walking back around halfway, I see the stage crew setting up. I've, I've had history of taking the stage out. The pont- the pontoon has to get carried out that the Roger Goodell gets on, right? <laughs> so I can see you run a bit confused on how this is going to go out. There's about 30 staff there. So I take control in the tunnel of the stage meeting. So this is how we need to do it, guys. So just take over the meeting. Yep. And what I'm going to need is I need three people underneath to carry and everyone else around the edge, they evenly spread, set it all up. And there's another guy looking at me like, is this guy really in charge of all? But no one really knows. That's the <laughs> no. thing. So I got underneath. So I knew I had to get underneath because I was going to get spotted by the... <laughs> so you're using the stage as cover. So I got high hunchback underneath. <laughs> And I helped carry it, punched for 100 metres and set it up. And then that was it. 
Another year I walked the lap of honour with Tom Benson, who paid tribute to his community. Just the two of us did the lap together. And then the last year was the one I got caught on camera, which was what telling Kurt Warner when Warner when to walk. I set the parade up. Kurt Warner being? He was the Arizona uh, Cardinals quarterback, uh, quarterback who was retiring, was just retiring. His job was to present the trophy to the New England Patriots. I'd set the lines up and I'd given Kurt permission to start walking. And that camera... And then the, I remember the guard next to me said, you've set all this up, you might as well be the first to touch it. And I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I rubbed the Super Bowls and went past, and then that was the shot that was caught on camera, and that was the end of the run, really. Just so it went everywhere. From there, like, it's time to mature and hang the boots up. Mate, we, yeah. we, we have a lot of – I have a lot of people ask how to get into the sports media. And I, as I mentioned, you're probably the biggest – if not the one of the biggest employees in sports media in Australia, and I said that's to be massively congratulated. Congratulated. What are you looking for when a young person walks through the door? Persistence, um, determination, uh, the way someone carries themselves, and just work ethic. I, won't, I connect the work ethic because that's yeah, that's you. I don't think I have any other things to bring to the table other than that. So that's I, I connect to it, and it's the same in, in all those. It's same in sales. You think about your own life. Someone rings you once, you um, you acknowledge the call. They ring a second time, they're probably starting to annoy you a little bit. You don't say it out loud. The third time, you're like, this guy's ringing again. The fourth time, it's like, wish this guy would go away or girl. Fifth time, you're like, gee, they're persistent. Sixth time, is, you know, wow. Seventh time, you're like, I've got to work with this person because they're like, you, you, you do. You form respect of the persistence. You do. Because you, you know yourself how hard that is to do. So I, I connect to effort and and or different ways to get your attention, you know. But I think it, in our day, it was hard to get in. I think there's great opportunities for young people to get into sport. Like the industry's never been bigger. Um, the opportunities that have been brought out, and you can self-publish and you can get, you can build your own body of work. I think that's the big one, isn't yeah. it? You, you can have a YouTube yeah. channel, you can have a podcast, you can write a blog. You can, you can get five years of work under your belt from age 14, like you're yep. talking about working for the Warragul Gazette, but you can get out there and publish it yourself. So when you're 19, you've you, you got your channel sorted. And the relationship with publishers change, has changed. And if you're a bit old school like me, that is hard to get your head around initially, and then you need to lean in on it, and then you need to embrace it, really. So you're a great example of that. So I think Listener and what SCA have built here – is fantastic and is great for our industry and is transforming our industry. So hats off to this brand and what it is doing. We think our SEN app is a great product as well and on a similar trajectory. But, no doubt. Um, but listener admire a lot. Um, but your Howie Games predated listener and SCA's commitment mm. to podcast. It did. Part of the appeal of you was you were an early adapter, you were preset, and you probably met each other at about the right time where they had the ability to help scale a little, but you also brought a lot of audience to the table, and then your reliance on each other is probably about evenly shared in the way that's kind of structured commercially. Good analysis. The um, There's some young talent coming through now who are, who are building their own audiences and quickly, and so I've been trying to embrace and reinvent myself to adapt to them, like the Hello Sport guys in Sydney mm. are a great example, uh, who would now do a project for us in SEN. Uh, I think Denon Kemp and what he's done with Bloke in a Bar is fantastic. So embraced Denon. I didn't know anything about Denon, but embraced working with him. Really successful. Um, he's built a brand in that space, similar space to what you've done. You're seeing now in TikTok the scale some of the young publishers are getting. I think Dylan is a great example of that. It's fascinating to see Dylan branch out into the tradies with Mitch and Sam. So 
you know, you don't, you no longer need the platform. I think it's, if you have the platform, it's a huge advantage, but these projects live in spite of them and often um, can be even more anti-authoritarian in their nature. And so that's the dance we're in now as publisher versus talent, right? And the talent relationships have changed. So you've got to be a little bit open-minded to some of these areas. More of Hachi in a short while. For those that enjoy business and the like, I reckon you will enjoy way back episode 35 of the show featuring the skipper of Australia to America's Cup winning captain and entrepreneur, John Bertrand. Then became Australian of the Year in winning one race of the oh. America's Cup, would you believe? <laughs> Amazing. And um, so that was, you know, dream time, America's Cup. You know, you just couldn't think of anything higher. That truly... You know, in that world was the Everest of sport. Was it achievable for you as a young man thinking, yep, that's that's where I'm going, that's where I'm going to get to? Uh, it was a dream. Whether it was achievable, it's hard to be able to, you know, say that. But uh, a dream of being involved one day, um, you know, you, you couldn't go any higher in terms of dream time. Better you than me explain the dominance of the Americans. I think it was a 132-year streak that you eventually broke. It was called the longest... Um, streak in the history of professional sport why were the americans able to win so often and so well yeah they're very very well organized and financially very strong you know the most powerful nation on earth technically and uh, and and uh, wealth wise and you know 300 million people now so they had you know they could draw on the resources of nasa and boeing aircraft and mcdonald douglas and so on which you know it's a technology race as well as a mm. a uh, athletic endeavor in many ways and extremely well organized over a long period of time but it goes back you know the america's kept to put it in in context went back before the u.s civil war when the first racing continued it started and uh, they that's right. They just successfully defended for 132 years before, you know, this little nation called Australia came along. And lots of different nations had tried and failed. That's John Bertrand back on episode 35. Let's get back to Hachi. And when you hit headwinds yourself, uh, footy show. You're hosting yep. the footy show. Massive show tonight. Strap yourself in. A huge amount of guests, including this man, Chris Scott, on the eve of the big one. Adelaide and the Caps. And there's no other way to put it. Anyone that's worked in this industry, you get sacked. You got sacked from the footy show. Is it a disaster at the time? Is it an hour to get over it? A day, a month, a year? How, how have you learned to deal with things when they haven't gone your way? Use that um, as an example. Just the volume of times it's, it's happened, probably. Right. I've said this many times, but I've been sacked, suspended, sued, and and plural. Yeah. So the footy show is was an ego thing because it's a dent to your ego when you it didn't work. I remember you being flat. I remember you being flat. It was a very public sacking that one. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to it's you don't just lose your role. You got to live with the. Mm. And then when you're running a business at the same time, which is. So yeah, like it's um, that was that was ego. Um, it takes you like it's it takes you a little while in life to work out what you uh, are better at and what you aren't as good at. And that was a really interesting experience for me because my ability to entertain on television is limited, and I didn't 
I, I sort of knew that going in, but it was a quick reaffirmation of it. Like that that, that role is so you need to be so um, charismatic and you need to be a TV star. Yeah, you need to have charisma, X factor. There's almost a something you can't put your finger on where you, it can't be taught. And I didn't have it. You've got it. I didn't have it. Um, and then you're kind of processing that in real time. And the other thing that, that I didn't do was give it really the time it needs. So, like, you, to do that job, you really need to be spending, you know, not 50 hours a week on it, but probably 20 or 30. You need to be thinking about it. And I was fitting it in around everything else. You know, so I, I would, you know, I would often leave work at 6 on a Thursday night and I haven't really given it much, enough thought that day. And so if you're going to be remotely interesting, and then I probably didn't diagnose where it was in its cycle either because I just loved the show and Sam so much and mm. didn't realise that the public mood had swung probably a little bit anyway. So that were all the factors. Tough, but but tough. better to do it than not do it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tough to get over or it's just like you, you learnt enough at that stage or you've learnt enough now to think, oh, well, that's part of the journey and on you go. Uh, yeah, no, I just – I think tough is not having an income. Yeah. And there's people out there who are listening now who – True. If they lost their current role, would not have another means to feed their family or other people I think about. So, like, I had a job. So that's not tough. Tough is earning $45,000 on a work site mm. somewhere with two or three kids and 5% interest rates and a mortgage that you're trying to work out how to fix up next month and not a payment plan for your energy bill. That's tough. What I, would not, f- what I went through was not tough. What I would find tough is the flip side of the coin. We've talked about how many wonderful people you've given employment to. When you have to tell someone that it's not working out, which you and I had that conversation, which we can talk about, we don't have to talk about, um, and you handled it really well, really well, actually. Um, We'll get to that, but what's the conversation? When you wake up in the morning and you know, I've got to go and see such and such person and tell them for whatever reason, it's you, it's me, it's not working out, how do you approach that? It's no fun, is it? I don't know. I've never done it. I don't know if I could. I'd ha- yeah, I, you, um, you have to. You've got no choice. As a leader, you have to lead from the front and be honest with people, but like, what's it like? That's the worst part of the gig. It hasn't – we haven't had a lot of it in the last five years um, because we've been in growth mode. But it's – it's yeah, it's 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 gut-wrenching. When you, when you have to sit down with someone and say, um, what we have agreed to do here isn't working and – it might be my fault, it might be your fault, it might be shared fault, but bottom line is it's not working and we're going to have to move forward. That's the worst part of the job and the day. And it, and it really is. And and it's hard as an, um, you know, and equally you do take it personally when people leave, you know. Mm. Like it's, and I, I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to do, but when you see someone leave who you work with, who you love, and they're off to do something else for someone else, it's a bit like a relationship breakup. Yeah, I would imagine it is. And then you see, you know, they're, they're having a farewell on Friday and everyone's going to wish them well and I'm like, well, Hang on, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be sad without that, so that person. That hurts. Yeah, it's, it's easy. It's it's you do take things. You can take things personally when people leave, because you you care about them and you want to work with them and you'll miss that. You know your relationship's going to change. That's the other thing. When you work with someone, you you get you have good times and bad times. But you get to see them every day. Mm. You know when when you don't work with them, you, you know they're not going to you're not going to see them. So that, I find that hard. And then, but I, yeah, the hardest thing is telling someone they're not required. So we, we, we haven't talked about um, you or me in this situation. <laughs> yeah. We only spoke to our great mate Damien Barrett on your podcast, The Sounding Board, but you were really kind to give me an opportunity when I was doing some boundary on Triple M to do into your country areas, yep. host your pregame footy show with yep. Terry Wallace. Yep. Um, and I don't know, maybe I did six weeks probably? Well, I think you might, you might have been filling in for 
not filling in. You might have been uh, part of the Saturday morning radio too at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off yeah, the bench, yeah. yeah, off the bench, yep. filled in there a couple of times. Yep. And uh, I don't know, I must have been doing something at the Pullman, maybe the Australian Swimming Championships. And you said, oh, I'm in town, I'll catch up with you. And we met in the bar and you said to me, oh, it's out of my hands, but the regional broadcasters don't know you um, and there's no job there. And I was like, oh, right. I'll get you to what effect that had on me, which was really positive in the end. But what's that like when it's someone like, well, we were good mates. Yeah. Good mates. That could have been much fun at all. You were dead straight with me though. You didn't bullshit at all. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think, well, in that instance, it was actually really in spite of my view. We just were were a supplier to a bunch of regional stations Mm. who were uh, an older skew and who were used to known and trusted voices and were probably still building trust in us and our view. So we were, they were in the mindset of established name and take no chances in your first couple of years. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered if I'd, it had been you or Carl Sanderlins or Fitzy or anybody. It just didn't fit the time they were making us do as a supplier and I'm, it's not my platform. So that's the other thing. In the first, it took us 12 years to own a radio station. Mm. So How for, many do you own now? Uh, we own about sixty in terms of frequencies, but it's so yeah. So that I didn't find that a tough conversation because it wasn't a view I shared. It was just a view I had to deliver. Um, my original business partner James Swanick, I saw for the first time in years on the weekend at the Gabba on Thursday night. We had a great chat. It was to see him, his dad, but we had a similar chat in the early days of our business where it was kind of working out and the two roles we had set up. And I had to kind of have a hard chat with him and. He's still, I would count, one of my great mates and best mates, you know, like, and he's, and he's gone on and done, like you, even better things than he would have done in our system. He's gone and built his own hmm. global brands and he's become a great digital marketer. And But that began with a conversation of, oh, just, this not, it's not going to work and here's, here's my view. So it's not, it's not a popularity contest, right? But it's No, but it's, it must be hard when it's people you know well and that, you, you know, that you're close yeah. with. I remember you leaving with me saying, mate, if you want to avoid it, you won't remember this. If you want to avoid this situation again, and this wasn't a boss-employee relationship. This is two mates that spend a lot of time together. You said to me, if you want to not be in this situation again, have more strings to your bow. And I remember thinking, he's got a good point. I'm just on the uh, – there's no one in radio that is hosting the show and then going down to the boundary. The person that is hosting the show is calling the footy. And that was – I had no interest in calling footy. But I made the link pretty quickly. If I want to, I really enjoyed the two-hour pre-game with Terry. If I want to be able to play that hosting role, I'm going to have to call yeah, the footy. Yeah, I was so actually anything about that on the it, weekend. It, when it pushed me in that direction. I heard you call the Essen game and the way you captured the Stringer moment. I was I was watching in Sydney. Stringer wants the hand pass. They give it to him. He's getting really involved. He goes the barrel. Jakey String has pulled out the extra Sunday barrel and he's nailed it from 60. Jake's got four, and that's one of the highlights of the year. Come a long way from, from getting the chop. Yeah, from those days. Not yeah. not, not from that specific yeah. incident, but from just not being a bit anti caller in the early years yeah, to no, doing what you're doing, you know, going off the IPL and didn't interest me at all. Yeah, I think in modern media you need to be able to. You don't have to. Do, you don't have to be a ten out of ten of anything, but you need to be a six or seven or eight out of ten at a lot of things. Yeah, and if you're a zero out of ten at some things, you better you better be a nine or ten at. You know, you've got, yeah, to, yeah, you got to you've got to bring something to the table, mate. I know you'll be busting to look at your phone. Basketball. Yep. Uh, you bought Melbourne United and then sold Melbourne United. You bought the Perth Wildcats. I go and watch a sporting team as a fan. What's yep. it like watching your sporting team as a part owner? Well, it's – so with Perth specifically where we own 100% of the team and we're out of 
long out of Melbourne in 18 months ago, which gets a little lost in the narrative sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's, there's nothing like it. It's, not, it's, it's a greater feeling than any footy team you've ever barracked for or any... Is it? So it takes it to another level? Because you're working with the people mm. every day and you're building those relationships with them, be they staff or athlete or... And you're involved in all the decision-making and then you're seeing whether you win or lose from that. So the, the challenge with it, if anything, is to spend the appropriate amount of time on it because if you let it... Because the emotion, it, mm. it, that's the emotional side of the business, right? So... You've actually got to give it the right amount of time, but not too much of your time. So um, when, when you whip an NBA team into the <laughs> – I know you, Craig. I know you will. Yeah, no, it's a, at the moment I can't afford uh, the NBA on PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> hey. But it's fun, yeah. Final question I have for you. This is the most important one because you have young people in your care now, so you'll understand the importance of this. For all those listening that want to have some success in their field, Hutchie, and you've had tremendous success in various fields and you've always had a crack, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, I don't consider myself to have had success yet. I certainly hope to, aspire to, but I don't think, I don't think I'm you've had success there yet. But for those who um, are seeking to be successful, just try not to take anything personally. There's going to be good days and bad days. You've got to be able to put the bad days past you quickly and the good days you've got to try and extend them. You've got to be um, respectful where you can and you've got to work harder than the person next to you. And you've got to look for an edge. You've got to try and – I talk a little bit um, about unfair advantage. So one of the themes I have is what is your unfair advantage? So everyone in life has got <laughs> an unfair advantage, right? So what yours is is different to what – your producers are, it's different to what the staff here are, different to what the car park attendance is. But everyone's got things that they've got an unfair advantage in. So for, for you, it might be your positivity, your authenticity, your quick mind to ask questions. Your, like you've got many. We don't need to go into them. Well, you can if you want. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's got things that they're not as good at and minimalising your downside is important. But then what's your unfair advantage and how do you maximise it? I love that. So... You know, it's like what what club do you hit best off the tee? You know, some people we drive really well. Some people are great chippers. Some people can putt. You got to work out what you're best at, and then you got to do more of it. And it's, and and it's far easier to get even better at something you're good at than to fix something you can't do. And then understanding what your unfair advantage is, and then you got to attack the un- that. So I would encourage young people to go. What am, what am I actually already? pretty good at or interested in it, how do I be really good at that rather than, oh, I really want to be a racing car driver but I can't seem to drive. You know, like attack attack your natural areas of strength and make them really, really good and then just mitigate your risk or surround yourself with people that can, do, you know, help you with that stuff. I love it, mate. I've loved the episode. I love the generosity of your time. How many missed calls have you had? I don't know. I'll put the phone away. Right. That's well the done. you have on. Yeah, well yeah. done. Um, 2009 for end of the year. I am um, <laughs> tremendously proud of what you've done. Like you've done unbelievable things. You have had tremendous success. Um, and I love the fact that you've introduced me to a whole new group of friends through sport that I still have today that I would have never met. Through you see you. a lot more of than I do. Yeah. I actually got friend jumped. 
Did really. You? Yeah, you well, become well, yeah. way closer to them than I am. Well, that's because I spend time <laughs> with them, Craig. Um, I'm good at getting a friend jumped. Yeah, but yeah. I also love the – you showed me around New York, even though you made me freeze my toes and yeah. showed me a more global perspective. So, mate, continue to push on. Thanks for coming on the show. I love everything you're doing. Thanks, you're a star. Thanks for having me. I don't even feel remotely of the you, – you've had many sports stars and figures who've sat in this seat. So it's a bit embarrassing to be – sitting even in this seat, but thank you for having me. I hope I've been a good fill-in episode for you so you can go off to the IPL. It's not a fill-in. You walked in and said to fill-in. How much fun will Damo on the sounding board have with this episode? I reckon I was a break glass. No, you weren't. You were were not the break glass. Mate, go well. Um, Safe travels. I'm proud of you too. Well done. All right. Well done. Modest, but a powerhouse is Hutch. Great stories, great lessons. Two hours in Hutchie's day is a lot of business that he could be doing, so I really appreciated his time. He was freaking out. He was freaking out that he couldn't look at his mobile phone, but he stuck to it. Well done. Okay, plane is boarding here in Chandigarh, off to Jaipur today. Until next Tuesday with the Artist Series continuing featuring cricketer and singer Henry Alonga. Powerful episode. Please check it out. Then Thursday with hockey star Jamie Dwyer. Oh, a bit of content coming your way. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try